at this time. Uh, I want to have a word of prayer, and then we uh, will get into our uh, study here this morning. So, if you can uh, kneel, I invite you to kneel with me, and uh, if not, bow your hearts, <laughs> and we'll come before the Lord. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we come before you. We thank you and praise you for your wonderful watch care uh, over us. You supply our, our very needs. Uh, shelter, food, clothing, and opportunities to gain wealth. Uh, opportunities to share the truth with others. And we thank you so much, Lord, for uh, the wonderful temporal things you provide. We especially thank you for the eternal blessings that you have provided. You sent your son Jesus to be our example here, to teach us how to live righteously and then how to die to self and dying for our sins on the cross. It's something that, uh, how do we contemplate that? Mystery. But we thank you so much for the precious gift. And we thank Jesus for being willing to do that. And we, we see in the cross your great love towards us. We ask humbly, Lord, that you will forgive each and every one of us our sins. Forgive your church for, for our sins. And help us, Lord. Give us of the Spirit bountifully that we may be overcomers. And we may press together, finish uh, the commission you've given to us. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will teach us this true love, that it may be cultivated within us, that we may love one another as you love us. Father, we thank you for the Sabbath day, that we can come apart and rest from our, our physical labor, our mental labor, our spiritual battles. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to walk with us and, and may we be encouraged and strengthened by, and our faith be strengthened as we keep our eyes looking upward and that hope, the blessed hope, to hasten our Lord's return. Please be with me as I speak to the congregation today. Give me the words to say. May they not be my words. May they be from your holy word and will. I pray that hearts will be softened and more importantly that we will realize the time we're living in and put selfishness and self, selfish things away and work for the night is coming. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer as I pray it in the blessed name of Jesus who is so worthy. Amen. Well, I've entitled this particular message, Minding the Time. We are beginning a new year. Well, next time we get together, we're, we'll get back into the um, gospel order, speaking about the women, the wives, and the mothers. We covered 
last couple weeks, um, the leader of the home, and uh, we'll get back into that next week. This is the beginning of a new year. And I was impressed to to do a little of the Nehemiah principle, as I say, and uh, just to kind of remind ourselves about the the time of the world and uh, the time of the church and the time that we're living in, and uh, and I think it's appropriate because it is the beginning of a, a new year. And at this time every year, I'm always hopeful that it'll be the year that Jesus returns. What about you? I mean, isn't that our blessed hope? Isn't that what we long for? And friends, if you don't long for it, um, I suggest that uh, maybe spend a little bit more time in prayer and in God's Word. And again, as I said, I prayed. Let's pray for one another. I'm amazed, really, that the world could get any worse. You know, I often think to myself that it just can't get any worse. But the Bible tells us that it'll, it'll get worse. And we can surely see that it is, almost daily. Unlike the evolutionists who believe that humanity is progressing to, you know, better and better enlightenment and prosperity... We Christians, we followers of Jesus, we see a spiraling downward into greater wickedness, do we not? I mean, I marvel. I really do marvel at the blindness of so many millions of people to such evil. But it's there nonetheless. And Paul spoke of it. He spoke of our day. We turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to read... I'm just going to start reading, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Remember, Jesus said that. Matthew 24. Let no man deceive you. And here Paul's repeating. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. And what day is he speaking of? He's speaking of the second coming of Jesus, isn't he? For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Paul is saying before Jesus comes, there are some things that are going to happen. There's going to be a falling away in the church. And then there's going to be this Antichrist. There's going to be this man of sin that will be revealed. God's followers will recognize who... It is. He's going to be revealed. But he's going to be revealed according to God's timing. Isn't that true? Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what uh, withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. 
Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. In other words, in God's time, he's going to reveal the man of sin. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why is it that they perish? Paul says here in verse 10, and this is what, what makes me marvel. I mean, when I, it reminds me, when I, when I marvel at how so many millions of people seem to be blind to such evil and they, they partake of it, you know, Woe to him that calleth you know, evil good and good evil. <laughs> right? Don't we see that today? That evil is called good and good is called evil? Especially more and more today. You can't miss it, friends. But why is it that such perish? Why is it? Paul says, because they received not the love of the truth, that they may be saved. They don't receive the love of the truth. People don't care about the truth today. There's no love for it. Now, that's a generalization. There are some who care for the truth. But there's no love of the truth. Lines are blurred. We were talking about the family unit. I just briefly touched on, you have the feminist movement, you have the homosexual movement. They've blurred the lines of the family unit. They don't love the truth that marriage is just between a man and a woman. That's a family. They come up with their own definition of what it is to please their carnal lusts. As Paul, Paul's laying out this principle here. They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Verse 11, And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's what we're seeing today. In our time. So, here in the final stage of world history, we see that the unregenerate have clearly chosen lies in preference to the truth. We're seeing it more and more and more. And they've placed themselves in, in the final battle here that Paul's laying out. They've placed themselves beyond redemption. And what does God do? They have grieved him away. They've committed the unpardonable sin, and God abandons them to the course that they chose. Now, don't get confused there in verse 11, where Paul says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. You know, in scriptures, in the scriptures, God is often said to do that which he doesn't prevent. So he's not the, the source of the strong delusion, beloved. Satan is. But is this speaking about our time or was Paul talking about his time? 
I mean, he did say that he'd already began to work to be revealed in his day. But I ask that question because I wonder if we're minding the time. Do we know what time we're in? Or are we being set up to receive the strong delusion? Which, by the way, the ultimate is the impersonation of Christ by Satan himself. Are we minding the time? Let's open our Bibles again to Romans chapter 13. I'm going to begin with verse 11. That was our scripture reading for today. Paul, again, the Apostle Paul, he says, and that knowing the time, see, knowing the time, are we minding the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, and if it was in his day, so much more our day, to wake out of sleep. He says, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of of light, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. It's those who do make the provisions that call evil good and good evil that do not receive a love for the truth. But Paul says, now is the time. It is the hour already for you to wake out of sleep. Do you know that? Do you know that now is the time? Now is the time to wake up because we don't have very much time left. <laughs> we just don't. And so I want to speak to this today. I, I want to look at two main points with you. I want to look at the time of the world and the time of the church. And there are several items for each. And I'll, I'll begin with uh, uh, dealing with minding the time of the world first. Knowing the time of the world. The first item I want to share is knowing the, the time of the world in which we are currently living. In other words, we need to know what time in history we're living in. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go into great detail about this for it would take away uh, a lot of time. In fact, it would be too long. It would be much longer than we have. Um, but I am hoping uh, this year to get back into uh, our prophecy studies again. But if you go through Daniel, and you look at Daniel's chapter 7 and 8 and Daniel 11 and in Daniel 12, you'll see that the great time of persecution of God's saints, which was to last 1260 years, was to extend until the, quote, time of the end. And when that period was over, then the world was going to enter the period called, in Daniel's prophecy, the time of the end. That period of time, the 1260 years. And if you study prophecy, it that time period of 1260 years came to an end in the year 1798. That's when the time of the end began. 
That's when the book was opened. Remember, Daniel had, was commanded to seal it. The prophecies of the time of the end had been sealed. 1798, they began to be opened. So we've been in the last days or in the time of the end for over 215 years. We've been in the last days, the time of the end. It's that last epical period of this world's history, beloved. And at the time of the end, probation will close and Jesus will come. And that will be the end of this age. The end of the world as we know it today. We're not at the beginning of the time of the end, friends. We are at the closing scenes of the time of the end. Do you believe that? So the first thing to realize in minding the time of the world is that we are living in the time of the end. We are living in the time of the end. The second item I'd like to look at concerning the time of the world is also found in the book of Daniel. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 that at the time of the end, two things are going to happen. Daniel 12 verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Well, we know in 1798 the book was open. And it says... Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So Daniel says that many are going to travel to and fro. This not only means that more and more people will be traveling through the the Holy Word, searching out end-time prophecies, because the book had been unsealed, you see. But it's also going to be a time of literal travel. Do we see that today? People running to and fro, literally. I'll tell you that there has never been such a time where there have been so many professing Christians um, you know, proclaiming end-time events. You get on YouTube, you get on the Internet, and you see it all over the place. The number of false prophecies being proclaimed today has never been so prevalent. Do you think Satan knows that his time is short? And are we not living in the time of the greatest travel since the beginning of the world? There are companies today that are building commercial spacecraft to take people into orbit with a larger goal of visiting the moon and actually having a base on the moon. China, in just the last few weeks, landed on the moon. But to our knowledge, there's never been a time of travel like there is today. The second thing mentioned in Daniel 12.4 is that the time of the end, that in the time of the end, there's going to be a great increase of knowledge. Daniel says, knowledge shall be increased. Again, knowledge of end-time biblical prophecy will be increased as well as an overall increase in general knowledge because the light of God affects everyone, you see. Are we living in a time when there's been an explosion of knowledge? Let me give you an example of increased knowledge. Our cars, for example, or our planes, or our, our machines. 
Computers now monitor these things to tell us when they need service and what needs to be repaired or changed. I hate to say it, but I'm old enough that I can remember when it wasn't that way. I don't necessarily hate to say it, it just tells you how old I am. When I was young, things were mechanical. And we thought we had a great increase of knowledge then. And at that time, we really did. But now things are electrical and everything is connected and monitored with a computer. And believe it or not, the Internet has been around less than 20 years or so. The same can be said about cell phones and smartphones and laptop computers. Knowledge has increased dramatically just within the last decade. In Japan, they're making robots that that's features are virtually human. It's amazing. Knowledge shall be increased. We see that. The third item in watching the time of the world is something Jesus said about it. In Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7. Of course, Matthew 24 is talking about signs of the times and the end times, isn't it? But he says in six, verses 6 and 7, he says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Speaking about earthquakes, I mean, have you noticed the increase of earthquakes lately? You remember just a few short years ago, over 200,000 Haitians were killed in a tremendous earthquake. That was the source of it. And there have been more earthquakes in my adult life than there were when I was a child. Do you know when the incident, the incidence of earthquakes uh, started increasing? You can document it. Around the year 1800, the number of major earthquakes began to rise. When did the time of the end begin? In the year 1798. You see, beloved, Jesus said that the time of the end is going to be the time of earthquakes. They started increasing at the time of the end. It is interesting to note, too, that the number of earthquakes stayed about the same yearly for many hundreds of years. Actually, for over a thousand years, as far as we know. Until about 1800. Then, for some reason that nobody can explain, except us, <laughs> who know the Bible, they started increasing. Why did they start increasing? Because Jesus said that in the time of the end there were going to be earthquakes. And I'll tell you, since 1950, the number of occurrences has really has skyrocketed. So much so that between 1980 and the year last year, actually, there was as many serious major earthquakes as there were between 526 A.D. and 1797 A.D. And that's a period of almost 1,300 years. And I encourage you, do the, just do the research yourself. In the time of the end, knowing where we are and watching the world, there's a lot more earthquakes we know. 
We're in the time of the end. A fourth item that I'll mention concerning the time of the world is that there would be wars and rumors, rumors of wars. Now, I don't think we need to talk much about that, but, you know, World War I was going to be the war to end all wars, wasn't it? That's what history tells us. Did it end wars? We were in another world war within 20 years after that one ended. And since World War II, there's been a war somewhere in the world all the time. Some coup, some revolu uh, revolution, some war somewhere in the world. In fact, it has been documented that at any one time there are over 40 different wars or conflicts going on somewhere on this planet. And I'll tell you this. Once they figured out that war was a big moneymaker, there's been no peace. Wars and rumors of wars. The fifth item of knowing the time in the world is that in the last days there's going to be a great international religious peace movement. And I preached about this. I don't have time to dwell upon it, but I did want to mention it. It's predicted in Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4. It's not a true revival though. Or a true religion though. If you read Micah, the first six verses in chapter 4 carefully, you'll see that, that this is really the case. They're going to be preparing for war at the same time they are talking peace. And they have to get rid of those Sabbath keepers to have peace. You see? A sixth item in knowing the time of the world is found in Luke 21. Verse 26, Luke 21 is comparable to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 26 says, Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So Jesus says that the time of the end will be a time when men's hearts will fail them for fear. Are we living in the time when men's hearts are failing them for fear? Oh, we sure are. Men are afraid of what's happening to the worldwide economy. Not just in the United States. Not just in Europe. But the economy of the world. The worldwide economy is that's very shaky today. And economists are scared to death. You see it. If you read anything in business journals or business news, you see the fear. They're afraid of what's happening to the worldwide economy. Millions have lost their jobs. Many, many more are scared for their future. The economic tailspin has given governments a reason to grab more and more power leading up to enforcement, beloved of the mark of the beast. You see, they have to have control. Full control. They're concerned about the environment. The so-called global warming. Now there are changes happening. There are changes that are happening. And the changes are due to sin. So man and 
so-called science, they try to come up with man's explanation. But we see in the signs of the times, it's because of sin and God is withdrawing His mercy. Because people are not having a love for the truth, they are rejecting God. So they're concerned about the environment. They're concerned because of the natural disasters. Natural disasters. It's bad enough when we have man-made disasters. Nuclear power plants failing. But that was due to a natural disaster. <laughs> Japan. Jesus said men's hearts would be failing them for fear because of the things that are coming on the earth. And then, of course, there's terrorism. Everybody knows about terrorism today, not just the United States. They know about it in Spain. They know about it in London. They know about it in the Middle East. They know about it in South America. And then, of course, there's crime, crime, and more crime, isn't there? Men's hearts failing them for fear. Seventh item is mentioned in Luke 21 and verse 11. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. Here Jesus is telling us, in the last days there would be famines and pestilences. You know, there have been famines in Africa for years. Ever since I was a child. They'd have the commercials, you know, with the starving children. They still have that today. There's no reason for them people... Those children be starving. That's all political there for the most part. But there are famines. You know, we're getting all this snow here today. California's in a drought. And I'll tell you, with the growing population, we will see famines more and more. And we're experiencing pestilences like never before in world history. In 1945, do you know how many people were getting cancer? Do the research. One in 15. One in 15 people in 1945 were getting cancer. you know what it is today? One in three. One in three. Mad cow disease is a pestilence. AIDS is a pestilence. We have the plague or the pe pestilence of all the old diseases that we thought we were going to cure. The diseases that we were so confident that we knew how to control. And you know what they're finding out today? You can't control it. The old pestilences have become resistant, you see, to the drugs and they're back. Let me just cover three other items really quickly. In Luke 17, Jesus said that in the last days it was going to be like it was in the days of Lot. Now, you've read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, haven't you, in the, the book of Genesis? Let me read to you something that it says in Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, 
and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination. And he, he meant sexual perversion there, friends. And committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw good. Like I said, Ezekiel, he's not pointing out the unnatural crimes that are commonly associated with the name of Sodom, but I'm sure you've read what Jude says about it, and you've probably read what Paul and Peter says about it. Jesus said that's the way the world is going to be in the last days when the Son of Man is going to be revealed. I'll tell you, friends, I've studied this out. I did a three-part television series in the studio concerning this perversion against nature, against the image of God. It's shocking what I uncovered, my friends. Do you realize that never before in world history has homosexuality been accepted worldwide until our day? It was accepted in Sodom. It was accepted among the Canaanites. That's one of the reasons the Canaanites were destroyed. You can read about that in Leviticus 18. It was accepted in the ten tribes of Israel too. And that's one of the reasons that they were destroyed. Well, they were sent out as wanderers among the nations. It later was accepted in the city of Rome and that is one of the reasons that Rome was destroyed. You can see it through history. It was later accepted by France and that's one of the reasons for the French Revolution. But in the last days, it wouldn't be a country or a city. It'll be the whole world that accepts it. Sometimes I, I just don't think we realize how true prophecy always is. When it says worldwide, it means worldwide as it was in the days of Lot, Jesus said. And when homosexuality becomes accepted worldwide, friends, I encourage you. I mean, study the story of Sodom. Study the story of the ten tribes, the Canaanites, Rome, France. But when it becomes accepted worldwide, it'll hasten the end time events. God's not going to let it go on, friends. It's going to end for it is one of the ultimate perversions of the image of God. A ninth item according concerning the time of the world is that there will be great deceptions such as never been. And we're very familiar with Matthew 24, verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Friends, we're living in that time. I can't get into that in greater detail because we have some other things to study, but we're living in that time. A tenth item concerning the time of the world is that there would be great unbelief in the existence of a Creator God. Peter talks about this. Second Peter chapter 3. Begin with, with verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts. Scoffers that there is a God. 
and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. He's referring to the destruction of the earth by the flood in Noah's day. Scoffers. The unbelief will be so great that it says they would deny that the heavens came into existence by the Word of God. The theory of evolution to explain how we got here without God has been developed, hasn't it? You know, we want a reason to explain how we got here without God. And that's exactly what has been done in the last few years. And all of these theories that the scoffers come up with began when? Do you know? Were you minding the time? They've happened since 1798, the beginning of the time of the year. My friends, that is main point number one, the time of the world. And I've quickly looked at ten things or brought ten things to you about knowing the time of the world. Knowing the time we're in. And as important as that is, and that is very important, it's even more important to know the time in the church. Do you know the time in the church? I'll tell you that most people can see the time of the world, but they have a hard time seeing the time of the church. And I'll, I'll bring this up. The first item concerning the time of the church is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This know also that in the last days... Paul says that in the time of the end, that's what he's saying, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. There's homosexuality again. And not just that. The other perversions that of like kind, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Who is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the world? Well, maybe to a very lesser degree. But mainly he's talking about the church. What's going to happen in the church in the last days? The people are going to be very religious. As he said, they're going to have a form of godliness. You know, there are mega churches today. Mega churches. I've been in a few. It's just like a huge amphitheater 
or auditorium, and you're sitting so far back that you can't see the speaker, so they have about five or six big, huge screens, you know, with the speaker blown up so you can see and hear. It's remarkable. He says there will be a form of godliness, but, but then he says they will deny the power of it. So let me describe very brie briefly to you what it means to deny the power of godliness. When Jesus came to this world, He didn't come to this world just to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins. That was an important part of it. Don't get me wrong. But that wasn't everything, was it? Many Christians believe that was everything. But that wasn't everything. Jesus came to this world, and before He ever died on the cross, He lived in this world for over 30 years as my example. To show me how to live. He said, if you will follow Me, I'll give you the power to become like Me. Look at John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And when He returns, it says in 1 John 3, 2, that we're going to be like Him. That is, if we've received Him. It says, Beloved, now... Are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What is the power of godliness? The power of godliness is the power of God to take some wretch like me that has a sinful nature, has a weak will, and a wicked mind, and transform me through the power of the Holy Spirit to make me and I say this reverently, like Jesus in character. That's what the gospel is about. And if you go to church and you have a form of religion and you pray and you sing and you read and you shout and you witness and you do all kinds of good things, but this transformation of character through the Holy Spirit never happens in your life, you are not a child of God. You will not be saved. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 and verse 5. He said, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He didn't say he should not enter into the kingdom. He said he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. To enter, you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will work a miracle inside of you and transform you. the power of God to be holy. <laughs> Notice this. From the Desire of Ages, the book The Desire of Ages, page 671. It is by the Spirit that the heart is made pure. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, the believer becomes a partaker of the divine nature. Christ has given His Spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and to impress His own character upon His church. God doesn't impress His own character upon a, quote, organization. He impresses it upon people who are organized. 
Christ. <laughs> so the Spirit has to work a change in me, otherwise I can't go to heaven. Even if I go to church, and I go to church and I pray and I sing and I jump up and down and I speak in tongues and I prophesy and do anything. You see, the power of God is the power to change my life, so I don't think like the devil anymore. But I think like Jesus Christ. I don't feel like the devil. I feel like Jesus Christ. I don't talk like the devil anymore. I talk like Jesus Christ. I don't act like the devil anymore. I act like Jesus Christ. Especially in my home. From the book Reflecting Christ, page 180. Men and women, children and youth, are measured in the scales of heaven in accordance with that which they reveal in their home life. A Christian in the home is a Christian everywhere. I love that. I love that. That's Because remember, it starts in the home. <laughs> yeah. That's where Satan starts the trouble. And then it gets taken into the church, see? But in the last days, there's going to be a people that will have a form of godliness. They will have all the outward trophies of religion, you see. They'll go to church, they'll pray, they'll sing, they witness... They'll prophesy. Oh, they'll talk in tongues too. They'll work miracles even. We read in Matthew 7 about these people that come to the Lord and they say, Lord, you made a mistake. I know I'm saved because I cast out devils in your name and I prophesied in your name. I worked many powerful miracles in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Paul says that in the last days there's going to be a people who have a form of godliness but they deny the power of the gospel. And denying the power is the new theology where you're told that you can't overcome sin. That's denying the power of godliness, friends. That's denying the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, Paul doesn't say to just hang in there and do the best you can because you're living in the last days. What does he say? He says, from such, turn away. Do you get the thrust of that? I know people all over. I have friends who are trying to stick in a fallen church. They're trying to stick with it. Just hang in there. I was told by one of my friends that one person who told them said that when it gets too bad in Sabbath school class, you know what he does? He goes in the bathroom and he reads his Bible and he reads the great controversy. Is that what Paul said to do? Go in the bathroom, read your Bible while all this error is being taught in your church? Is that what Paul's saying? He said, turn away. Do you get the thrust of his statement, friends? I mean, there are those who think I'm sort of a fanatic, I guess. They decided that they're not going to turn away. They're going to stay in their fallen church. By the way, think about this. Why is it a fallen church? <laughs> Many don't deny that their church is in a fallen condition. But why is it in such a condition? They deny the power of godliness. And so they become the opposite of godly. Beloved. Some of them say they're going to stay in their, their fallen church and fight to clean it up. 
that sounds really noble, doesn't it? I mean, you are to to make an effort, stand up for righteousness. Well, I mean, there are scriptures on how to deal with sin in the church, and we covered that. But let me tell you what happens after they stay in their fallen church for a while. Instead of them getting it cleaned up and all sin removed, they actually get spiritually numb themselves. And they don't even know there's a problem in their church anymore. By beholding it day after day, the ones who refuse to turn away are the ones that become changed. I'll tell you, friends, you cannot attend the bar of Babylon and not become drunk with the wine. I've seen it over and over with many we used to associate with. And don't say, you'll be strong. I hear that too from them. You know, you can resist it. You'll be alright. That you're going to be a light to all of them. Anybody says that, friends, deceived already. That's not what the Bible says to do. You're a human being, and when God tells you to turn away from something, if you want to be saved, you better turn away. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, look at Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus said. If you don't turn away, you'll become like what you associate with. Don't ever forget that. I mean, why in the world did we even have an Adventist church in the first place? Why didn't we just stay with the Baptist and the Methodist and all those Christian churches? Why? Because they rejected the truth of the three angels' messages and the faithful turned away. Just as Paul said. You know enough about that. A second item in knowing the time in the church is that the experience of the Jewish church just before the first advent and the experience of the professed church just before the second advent will be very similar be very similar. This is from Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 406. We want to understand the time in which we live. We do not half understand it, she says. That's why I'm bringing it to your attention in this new year, first Sabbath of the new year. She says, we do not half take it in. My heart trembles in me when I think of what a foe we have to meet and how poorly we are prepared to meet him. The trials of the children of Israel, and here's was my point, the trials of the children of Israel and their attitude just before the first coming of Christ have been presented before me again and again to illustrate the position of the people of God in their experience before the second coming of Christ. How the enemy sought every occasion to take the control of take control of the minds of the Jews, and today he's seeking to blind the minds of God's servants that they may not be able to discern the precious truth. Now having read that, I want to ask you a question. If God told Ellen White, his prophet, something over and over again, do you suppose that might have more than a normal importance? What did he tell her over and over again? He told her that our experience in the Second Advent Movement just before the second coming of Christ would be very similar to the experience of the Jews and their attitude just before the first coming of Christ. And friends, I'm going to tell you, that's not 
just a prophecy anymore. It's happening right around us and has for a number of years. A good book about this is entitled Prophetic Parallels by the late Terry Ross. But basically, if you take the desire of ages, oh, about 15 years ago, I started in to study the book Desire of Ages and I realized it actually is a book of prophecy. It's a prophetic book in regards to the professed church of God then and the one now. History is being repeated. A third item in regards to the time of the church, and we won't spend very much time on this because we've covered it in greater detail uh, before, like I mentioned, Sabbath school. Did a series on this. It concerns immodesty of the church. In Isaiah 2, it starts giving a prophecy about the last days, as I mentioned earlier. You'll notice it starts off by talking about the latter time, you know, the last days, and it goes right on where uh, he's still talking about the last days in chapters 3 and 4. And when he gets to chapter 3, starting in verse 16 and going uh, clear on, you know, to the end of the chapter, he indicates that there is going to be a modest and prideful dress among the daughters of Zion in the last days. Do we not see this being fulfilled in the professed church? We surely do, friends. A fourth item is found in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. And what's it talking about? This item is talking about confederacies. Associations. Making, you know, covenants. When the people of God form alliances of any kind with those who know Him not, you know what happens? The policies of men will inevitably supplant the principles of heaven. And then the work of the Lord is going to suffer. Our strength lies not in close association with the world, but in a complete separation from it. And sadly, this is happening in Adventism right now. Well, it's been happening for, I'd say, well over 60 years, especially since the 50s. That's what I'm looking at. This is a fifth item. In Matthew 25 is the story of the ten virgins who, who fell asleep waiting for the bridegroom. So the church in the last days will be spiritually asleep. Is the church asleep today? Well, for the most part, yes. Paul said in Romans 13 that it's not... Uh, um, <clears throat> that it's the hour to wake up out of sleep. We read earlier, didn't we? And I don't know how to wake you up. But ask the Lord in your prayers to please wake you up. <laughs> to send the Holy Spirit to help you hear that still small voice. Do you realize that probation is going to close and Jesus is going to come and many Adventists are not going to wake up until it's too late? I want to be awakened. What about you? I want them to be awakened. Here's a sixth item concerning the time of the church. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Jesus says, while men slept, the enemy came and, and sowed tares among the wheat. And I want to tell you, 
that there have been so many tares sown in Adventism that unless the Lord works a miracle, the tares will choke out the wheat crop completely. And the Lord's not going to work a miracle, friends. He doesn't do that. The miracle He works is conversion in the heart. He doesn't come in as some of the professed church theologians say and clean it up. It's a misunderstanding of that parable. I'll tell you, that's one of the reasons that there are independent historic Adventist churches today, like us. Some are being awakened, doing as Paul says, to turn away from the ungodliness. And if the good seed refuses to turn away from those who deny the power of godliness or righteousness, their spiritual lives will be choked out of them. And in speaking of the good seed, Jesus said in Matthew 13, 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Now we come to one of the most important items of all, and I'm, I'm trying to close out here, friends. This will be the last item. And remember, we're studying to know the time, not just in the world, but also in the church. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe we are in the last years of this earth's history? Do you believe that? Because I'm going to read you one of the most startling prophecies that was ever written by the pen of Ellen White about what was going to happen in Adventism in God's church in the last years of earth's history. And this was written during the time of the Alpha Apostasy. This is Manuscript Release, Volume 13, page 379. In His Word, the Lord declared what He would do for Israel if they would obey His voice. But the leaders of the people yielded to the temptations of Satan, and God could not give them the blessings He designed them to have, because they did not obey His voice, but listened to the voice and policy of Lucifer. Who yielded, did she say? The leaders of the people. God could not give them the blessings He wanted to give because they listened to Satan's temptations. They did not obey God, they listened to the voice and policy of Lucifer. That's the leaders. And of course, the leaders teach the people. <laughs> right? Now, you ready to hear the prophecy? She goes on. She says, this experience, now that's the experience of the leaders leading the people astray, listening to the voice and policy of Lucifer, not obeying the Lord. That's the experience she's talking about here. She says, this experience will be repeated in the last years of the history of the people of God who have been established by His grace and power. Who are the people of God who have been established by His grace and power in the last days? They're Seventh-day Adventists, aren't they? God couldn't, couldn't do for ancient Israel what He wanted to do because what? The leaders listened to the temptations of Satan. They didn't obey God. They obeyed the voice and policy of Lucifer, she said. 
The same thing is going to happen at the end of time in the professed church. If we are now in the last days, what do you think is happening right now? The leaders of God's people have succumbed to the temptations of Satan. They are not obedient. They are not in Bible order, gospel order. They've listened to the voice and policy of Lucifer. And let me tell you, Romanism is the voice and policy of Lucifer. And these men say that we have to stick with this fallen church because it's going through. That this is God's church. Wait a minute. Is the synagogue of Satan and God's church the same thing? What's going on? She says, again, men whom he has greatly honored will in the closing scenes of this earth's history pattern after ancient Israel. And remember we read earlier that the church at the second coming of Christ is going to have the same attitude of Israel before the first coming of Christ. Well, I'll tell you this, friends. Jesus and Lucifer don't work in partnership. And don't ever get that wrong. I remember I had a priest call me several years ago who was pretty upset. A group of us passed out literature, you see, and, and some was placed on the doorstep of his church. And uh, this priest was quite irate because of this literature. I mean, the literature spoke about the Ten Commandments still being binding, which included the Fourth Commandment, the Seventh-day Sabbath. But he said, this is what he told me. He said that Sunday is all right today because, you know, concerning his church, we sanctified it. Now let me ask you something. Can you sanctify what Lucifer does? I'll tell you this. Too many Adventists think like this today. They think that because they profess to be an Adventist that they can sanctify something and it's alright. Even if it is the voice and policy of Lucifer. How many Adventist churches? Let me just ask you. And friends, I'm not picking on them. I just want you to think this through. This is the time of the end. How many Adventist churches celebrate sunrise services at Easter? How many Adventist churches have a harvest festival at Halloween or have Christmas celebrations like that of the world? How many teach the new theology? Your character will be changed when Jesus returns. That's deadly. Deadly heresy. Light and darkness cannot mix. You cannot sanctify the voice and policies of Lucifer. And sanctify means make holy. Ellen White said that these leaders of ancient times listened to the voice and policy of Lucifer and it's going to happen in the last years. And it's happening. It's been happening for several years already. Now, how do you relate to this? Ellen White was shown that just as it was before the first coming of Christ, it would be just like that before the second coming of Christ concerning the church. It's one of the greatest signs that we are right at the end. 
Do we have spiritual eyesight to see? How are you going to come out of all this, friends? Jesus is coming soon. You know, I've often thought about Noah and his family in the ark. When the rain was falling, do you suppose any of them said, there are so few of us in here, I wish I were out there with the others. You think any of them said that? Do you suppose that they were worried about that? I mean, the people were drowning out there. And even though there were only a few in the ark, they were glad they were in the ark. And I want to tell you something, friends. The few people that stick to the three angels' messages will triumph with it. And the time of triumph is at our doorstep. Do you believe that? So what about you, beloved? Have you been patiently minding the time in the world and the time in the church as it comes to a boil? You know, they say that a watch pot never boils and pretty soon you get impatient, you walk away and it boils over. <laughs> How much time do we really have to make a decision to live for Christ? Do you want to be a part of the three angels' messages when it triumphs? I hope that you do. I sure do. If you do, let's, let's bow our heads and, and let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much that you've given us so many signs to look for that we know exactly where we are in history so that we can be prepared and we can prepare others. And watching the time and minding the time and looking at prophecy and things that are happening in our world today and in the church, we recognize that we're right at the end. We're so close. The race, we're coming to the finish line. We pray, Father, you give us of the Holy Spirit and angels that excel in strength to help us to, to cross the finish line and to bring our families with us, bring our neighbors and all those who have a love for the truth and forgive us where we fail. For as the man said, I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Help us. Help us in our unbelief. May we never lose a love for the truth. We thank you so much for your holy word and for the many blessings you've given to us. May we walk our profession by faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus who is worthy.